Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained, Christians are encouraged, and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Bible Baptist Church. Good evening. This evening we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9. And some of you out there may be thinking, I have spent a long time in Nehemiah for the last few months in a Sunday school class. And you would be right. And um, you are well prepared for this message. Probably could get up here and preach it. So, if I ever get stumped up here, I'm going to just call on you guys and trade places and I'll let you all finish it out, okay? How does that sound? Most of the adults have been in a Sunday school class learning about the book of Nehemiah, and so they are are well prepared for this. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, if you're turning with me, Nehemiah chapter 9. I've been studying this book in my own personal devotions, um, and I'm I'm still a young preacher, but I'm finding that um, almost all the messages I preach, I end up getting out of my own personal devotions. That's where they start, and I guess that's a good place for them to start, because what happens is you can, uh, you can be guaranteed that they've first impacted me. <laughs> and uh, pretty much that's, that's how my preaching career has gone. God has taken a passage and he has said, Ethan, you need this. And uh, I've learned from it, I've done my best, and I've continued to work on that. And then it's like, you know what? Somebody else may be blessed by this. So tonight we're in Nehemiah chapter 9 uh, because God thought that I needed this. Um, this is the longest prayer in the Bible Nehemiah chapter 9, it's almost the entire chapter. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a kid, I, we, we had this one person, and I can say it wasn't at this church, but there was this one man that would get up and pray on Sundays. And I'm telling you, pray, I use that word loosely, really, he preached. It was just his opportunity to get up there and preach with his eyes closed. Every time, we knew that we could count on at least 10, 12, 14 minutes or so from this man, just during his prayer. He wasn't even the preacher. He just would get up there and pray. And I remember thinking, when is it ever going to end? This man just wants a pulpit. He just wants an opportunity to preach. But this prayer is even longer than that. Um, I read that Mr. And, and Mrs. Moody often entertain people at their own house there in Chicago. And one night, after a long day, a long week, um, they, they had some guests over and and Mr. Moody invited this man to lead the family devotions, okay? And after, after he gets into this passage and he spends a lot of time teaching about it, and he decides to pray. And, and his prayer was just as long as his devotional. I mean, he's praying and praying and praying. And they all had their heads bowed. Um, but, but after the guest got up from his knees and everyone else opened their eyes and stood up, um, Mr. Moody still had his head down, and, and Mrs. Moody said, wow, he's praying for a long time. And uh, finally, she realized, no, he's not, he's not praying. He, he fell asleep during this man's prayer. Not only that, I also read that uh, at one point, he had somebody come up and, and pray before his message. Another guy, I think it's a different person, and, and he came up here, and he was praying, and he was praying, and he just kept praying and praying. And finally, about 10 minutes in, Mr. Moody stood up and he said, okay, while our dear brother, <laughs> while our dear brother is finishing his prayer, go ahead and turn with me to page 342 and we'll sing. <laughs> and he just came up and he interrupted him. I don't think D.L. Moody was a big fan of other people's long prayers. But if this passage is any indicator, I think God is a fan of long prayers. And that's exactly what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 9. I hope I've given you enough time to find it. I know it's a little hard 
uh, book to find. Um, it's two books behind Job. So if you find Job, then back up a little bit. Nehemiah chapter 9. I know I'm starting kind of in the middle of a series here. I'm starting in the middle of really a story. Um, the children of Israel were in a unique place. They had, they had just finished, they were, they were rebuilding the wall under the direction of Nehemiah and Ezra, and, and they, were, they were really coming back out of this time of captivity. And they found themselves really returning to the Lord and to the things of God. They were confronted um, by the Word of God with things that they had been neglecting to do for many, many years. Ezra was doing a great job about reading the Scriptures, and he was presenting things to them that they realized, wow, we haven't been honoring this, the law. We, we haven't been following this portion of the law. And, and so they began to get right with God. And, and it's a neat place to be. That's, that's where they were here in Nehemiah chapter 9. They had just finished up a, uh, basically a feast that they had been neglecting for many, many years. I think since the time of Joshua, they had uh, at, least, at least one. I mean, it had been a long time since they had been honoring this certain feast. And so really their hearts were tender towards the things of God. Um, they, were, they were ready to change. They were ready to grow. And they found themselves after, really after a season of rebellion, coming back to God. The priests and the Levites uh, took the opportunity to stand before the people and remind them of some things. Remind them of some things that had happened in the Israelites' life. Um, you guys are, any of you that watch sports, you're familiar with the idea of, I guess, a post-game meeting. Um, even if you've played sports, you've had these. I remember, I remember our coaches, uh, after we would play a game, I didn't do a ton of sports in high school, but I, I do remember some, some post-game meetings because we had finished up the game, we were exhausted, we were so tired, we were ready to go eat and just get out of, of the field and, and go home, and our coach said, no, no, come over here, come over here, we're, we're going to the locker room, or we're going to the side of the field, and we're going to talk about this. And we would spend sometimes, you know, a couple minutes, sometimes a very long time talking. Why, why do we do that? Why do coaches decide that that's an important thing to do? Well, you've, you've heard the phrase that, that uh, he who, what is it, you guys, he who chooses to ignore history is doomed to repeat it. I've heard that attributed to a lot of different people, that quote, but I think it's true. And the Levites, the Levites knew that to be true. And so they stood up here in Nehemiah chapter 9, and they reminded the people of some truths. And so I am going to go ahead and read here, starting in Nehemiah 9 and verse 1. It says this, Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Jeshua and Bani, Cadmiel, Shabaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shaniah and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, and Cadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hadijah, Shebaniah, and Pethiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. He's about to read a very long prayer, and he told everybody to stand up. I'm not going to make you guys stand up tonight, but definitely stay with me. These are some things that are going to be familiar to you, because really he's recounting the story of the Jewish people. He's, he's telling them what happened in their life and in their parents' lives and in their grandparents' lives. And so follow along with me here in verse 6. It says this, Thou, 
Even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Thou art the Lord, the God, who did choose Abram, and brought him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and gave him the name of Abraham. Thou foundest his heart faithful before thee, and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous, and did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry by the Red Sea, and showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and on all his servants, and on all the people of his land. For thou knew that they dealt proudly against them. So did thou get thee a name as it is this day. And thou did divide the sea before them, so that they went on through the midst of the sea on dry land. And their persecutors thou threw into the deeps as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, thou leddest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou came down also upon Mount Sinai, and spake with them from heaven, and gave them right judgments, and true laws, good statutes, and commandments, and made known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant, and gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought, wa- brought forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, and hardened their necks, and hearkened not to thy commandments, and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou did among them, but hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsook them not. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt, and had wrought great provocations. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsook them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. Thou gave also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withheld not thy manna from their mouths, and gave them water for their, for their thirst. Yea, forty years did thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Moreover, thou gave them kingdoms and nations, and did divide them into corners. So they possessed the land of Sihon, and the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multiplied thou as the stars of heaven, and brought them into the land concerning which thou had promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. So the children went in and possessed the land, and thou subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities and a fat land or a good land, and possessed houses full of all goods, Wells digged, vineyards and olive yards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat, and were filled, and became fat, and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Verse 26, Nevertheless, they were disobedient, and rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs. Let's pray as we get started here. 
Dearly Father, thank you for an opportunity to open your word again, Lord. Thank you for your grace and giving it to us. Thank you for the message that you have included here to the Israelites. God, thank you for the relevance that it has to us today. God, I know as I, as I read this passage, it was a challenge to me to remember the things that you have taught me, the way that you have been faithful to me in my life. God, thank you for your plan. Thank you for your goodness and giving us your word so that we can see throughout all of history the way that you have provided for your people. Thank you for providing for us, Lord. Speak to us tonight in your name, amen. All right, I know that was a lot of scripture to read, but thank you for your, your attention in that. It's really important as we, as we get into this to understand where the Israelites were coming from here. The Levites stand up before the people and they lead them in a corporate prayer of worship, really a prayer of confession. You may have caught that as we were reading through this. The Levites said, Lord, this is who we are. We, we recognize we are agreeing with you about our history here. You know it better than we do, but they summarized it, I think, very well. They, he, he, they came to the Lord and they said, this is, this is who we are, God. We're not trying to be anything we aren't. You have provided for us in so many different ways. And yet again, we have turned our back on you. Our fathers have killed your prophets. They have rebelled against your law. They have taken the good gifts that you have given them and they have turned their back on that. And so here we are. They're in a place that I've, I've found myself very often. They're, they're coming back to the Lord. They're returning to the Lord. Have you, have you found yourself in that place? Maybe you're there right now. You have, as you look back on your life, there have been seasons where you have loved the Lord, where you have walked with Him faithfully. And then something happened, and something got between you and your relationship with God. And you know it, and you recognize that. It's not, it's not something that is hidden from you. You recognize it, and if you're honest with yourself, you may be there right now. You say, God, I, I know. I know I'm not where I need to be. I don't have to have a preacher stand up and tell me I'm not. I, I know. There's things in my life right now that I'm trying to deal with, but I'm finding myself again trying to return to you, Lord. And as we look at verse 25 and verse 26, there's, there's almost like there's a verse missing, and we're going to get to that here in a bit. But as, as we look over this long history lesson that the Levites gave the Israelites here, I think it's worth us talking about, just kind of hitting some of the highlights here. Really, he's, these Levites are telling them, look, our God has been faithful to us. For our entire history, God has been faithful. He has been he, he's faithful in giving them a land. He promised Abraham way back in Genesis. He promised them that there would be a land that would be theirs and they would be able to inherit that. And God gave it to them. Nehemiah 8 or 9 verse 8 says, And you found his, faith, his heart faithful before thee, speaking of Abraham, and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and you have performed thy words, for thou art righteous. This is one area where God had been faithful. He gave them, he promised them a land. And even though God had sent in people, really the, the Babylonian exile was all about punishment of their sins, and he brought them out of that land. And yet, here he was again, bringing them back into this land, the land that he had promised many, many years ago. And they're standing again in a land where where not very long ago, they didn't ever think they would see again. And yet God in his goodness brought them back into the promised land. 
He gave them a name. They, they didn't used to be a people, and yet God brought Abraham out, and he made them a family, a, a people. He promised them descendants. He gave them a direction. I don't know about you, but I, I've found myself before really wanting to know exactly where God wants to take me. Have you ever been there? It's like, God, okay, I, I have opportunities, or maybe there's no opportunities, and I, I don't know I don't know where I should go. Should I stay here or should I try to open this door that's not open right now? Or, or maybe I have multiple doors open and where do, which one do I go? Which one do I choose? God made it really simple for the Israelites. He said, okay, during the day, there'll be a cloud. At night, there's going to be a pillar of fire. All you have to do is follow that thing around and I'm going to take you where you need to go. I'm going to show you exactly my will for you. It's, it's that, follow that. For the next 40 years, follow that thing and you will be in my will as long as you obey me. Sometimes I wish I had a pillar of fire at night to guide me or, or a big cloud that, just, that I just drove my car around all day, just following all day. Wouldn't that be nice? God gave them a direction. He said, I'm going to make it really clear for you. This is the direction you're supposed to go. Follow me and I'm going to make it clear. Here is where I, my presence is. Follow me here and you will be in my will. He, he delivered them from their captors. You guys know these stories. We have learned these on the flannel graph back in Sunday school. But God brought them out of Egypt, even though they were captors and they were slaves in this land. God delivered them miraculously. Don't ever let anybody try to tell you it wasn't anything but a miracle that God brought them out. That was supernatural intervention that God created there. He brought them out of the land. He, he threw their captors in the depths of the sea. I mean, it's, the, the language here is really meant to remind the Israelites, look what our God has done. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to remind you about what our God has done. He delivered them from their captors. It says in verse 9 and 10, he says, and did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Do you believe do you believe that God sees and hears what you're going through? It says it right here. The, the nation of Israel was in captivity. They were slaves. And I'm sure they were thinking, does God hear me? And does God, I've been, I've been crying out to the Lord. Does he hear me? Does he see what I'm having to go through every day? It says God heard them. God saw where they were. He says he showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and all his servants and on all the people of his land. For thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them so didst thou get thee a name as it is this day. And he brought them out of there. He delivered them from captivity. Verse, uh, verse 15, we see that God blessed them with good things. It says, And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. All along the way, God was leading them in a direction. And all along the way, God was providing for all of their needs. They lived in a wilderness for decades, and yet God provided for them. Not only did he give them food and drink, he, he also preserved their belongings. In verse 21, it says, Yea, forty years did thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not or, or grew not, and so they didn't have to replace their shoes. That's just a, a small miracle, but... He is reminding, the, the Levites are reminding the people again of all the different ways that God provided. Sometimes I need this. Sometimes I need a reminder because it's so easy for me and it may not be the case for you, but I find myself to be so short-sighted in multiple ways. I wear very serious contacts, but spiritually I am also short-sighted because it's so easy to look at what you have right here 
and never to remember how God has provided for you many years ago. I, I have not lived very long on this earth, but as I look back on my short life, I can recognize God's faithfulness to me. And those of you that are sitting in these pews that have been saved for decades can look back on your life and I believe you can say with a psalmist that I have never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. God has provided. I know we are not Israel. The church is not the replacement here. But as I read through this passage, I couldn't help but recognize I need this. I need a reminder in my own life of what God has done. And so that's where we're at right now. And we see this so many different places, by the way. Old Testament, New Testament. So many different authors in the Bible realize that it's really important to remind their audience of what God has done uh, before they ever get into their application. That's what they do. And so I think it's a good place for us to start tonight. So many different ways God provided for them. This is just a short synopsis of the different uh, different ways that God has met the needs of the Israelite people. He gave them rest. He gave them a land. And, And then we see this verse 25. I love this. It says, they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all good. Wells were digged already. There was vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled. Listen to this. And became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. They sat back and they said, wow, God is so good. Look at everything he has given to us. Look at all these things that he has provided. He gave us a new land. He gave us gardens that were already grown, trees that were already bearing fruit, wells that were already dug. Basically, he said, here, have it all. And they sat back and it says they became fat and they rejoiced in God's goodness. But, but the verse right after that, <laughs> I read this. It says, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs. I don't know. You may want to double check your Bible because when I was reading through this, I had to stop. I looked back. I was like, I missed a verse. There's got to be a transition verse in here somewhere. And I look back and in my Bible, I don't have one. You may have one in yours, but... Mine goes from this phrase. It says, They delighted themselves in thy great goodness. The very next words are, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee. I'm thinking, what? Like, there's got to be something. What happens between verse 25 and verse 26? And that's what we're talking about tonight. Because there's, there's got to be some time. There's a transition there between verse 25 and 26. It doesn't happen overnight. There is a process. And we're going to get into that. We're going, to, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about that tonight because I think that is so relevant to our own lives and, and, and just the, the way that we um, obey God and then slip away from Him again. Um, before we get into that, this, their sinfulness, we, we looked at God's faithfulness, but throughout Israel's history here, the Levites also include some truths that maybe are not as glamorous. They didn't really want to hear. They didn't want to be reminded of these, these aspects of their history. It says, it says in verse 16, it says, They and our fathers dealt proudly. They hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments. They refused to obey. The first thing they did is they dealt proudly. They, they, they were proud in their hearts of the things that they thought they had accomplished. They ignored his commandments. They worshiped a false god, but not only that, they attribute what God had done to a false god. In, in, verse, in verse 18 there, It says, Yea, when they had made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt and wrought great provocations, or they provoked God to wrath because of what they did. They made this golden calf, okay? While while Moses was up receiving the law, they were down at the bottom of the mountain, they built this calf out of gold. 
And they said, this is the God. This is the one. This is the God that delivered us up out of Egypt. And it's like, what? No, (laughs) that's a piece of metal. The God that delivered you is on the top of the mountain right now giving you a law and a way to, he brought you here. And and you're going to attribute all of what God did to this piece of metal? Like that's, that's foolishness. Romans talks about this. It says they exchanged the, the image of their glorious God for, for a bowl which eats grass. Like what, like what in the world? Why would they ever do this? And these are all the different things that the Israelites did in response to the goodness of God. They ignored his commandments. They worshiped a false God. They were unfaithful. It is true. They, so many different opportunities they had to bless the Lord and respond to his goodness and yet, they were unthankful. They, they took everything that he had given to him to them, and, and they just weren't even, we weren't even appreciative of that. I, I'm, I'm seeing a pattern in this passage, and it, and it seems that unthankfulness is always the beginning of a drift away from God. Matter of fact, I think it's probably a requirement for rebellion. And so, if you have an unthankful heart, congrats, you're you're on step one already. That's the first step. If you want to be rebellious, it's required of you that you have an unthankful heart. We see that in other places in the Bible. Rebellion, though, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a really bad thing. But unthankfulness, man, how many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are probably there even tonight? It is so hard to be thankful for what God has done because we're sitting in traffic and we've had a long day at work, and we don't want to think about the goodness of God. We want to think about how hard our life is. And yet, the Levites here remind them, look, yes, there are days that are difficult, but look what God has done in your life. Look at our history. God has proved himself over and over again that he will be faithful to us. He has provided for all of our needs. They were unthankful. They, they lacked nothing, but also appreciated nothing. I don't know if you're a parent out there, that may resonate with you. <laughs> they lacked nothing, but they, they appreciated nothing. They had everything they needed, and yet they weren't thankful for anything. That's a problem. That's exactly where the Israelites were, and that is what leads them into rebellion. We're looking at what happens between verse 25 and verse 26. Guys, this is the first step, an unthankful heart. I want you to think about where you are in this process right now. Because I think probably, if we're honest with ourselves, we're somewhere here between verse 25 and verse 26. I'm looking at a church that probably has almost all of your needs covered. I mean, we live in America and really we have almost everything we need, if not everything we need, because God has blessed us in this church. I know that. I don't know all the individual struggles that you guys are having financially or at work or in your family, but but if we step back and say, you know what, I'm going to be honest, like, I, God has provided for my needs. I, I do have food every day to eat. I, I do have a place to stay. God has taken care of me. Even though I don't really recognize that very often, God has provided for my needs. You know, they, they abandon their God. They stiffen their neck and they turn their back on what God had done. Right after, it says, they delighted themselves in thy great goodness. And what happens between those two things? Where is the transition there? I believe that it always starts with an unthankful heart. It starts with an unthankful heart, and that leads into something, that leads into neglect. The book of Hebrews spends a lot of time talking about this idea of neglect, this, this kind of this slow drift away from the things of God. 
so many areas uh, in the Bible talk about this as well, but we see in Revelation 2, um, I believe talking to uh, the church at Ephesus, where, where he says, you have left your first love. You, you have, you've, just, you've slipped away from that. And how does that happen? Guys, that doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't happen just between, you know, the phrase, uh, you know, these two verses there. There's, there's a transition that happens when we take what God has done for us, all the good things that he has provided for us, and we kind of quit thanking him for him. We, we quit recognizing the goodness of God and we start, you know, thinking about our needs. We start focusing on all of the problems in our life. We start thinking about all the difficulties we have at our job or, or in our family. We think about all these areas where, you know what? I don't think God is that good to me after all. I, I know, yeah, a couple months ago I was thinking about how good God was and how he'd provided for all my needs, but look, I need this and he hasn't said anything. I, I'm, I'm struggling in this area, but where's God? I'm not hearing him. I, I need help here, but I don't hear from God. And we begin to neglect the things of God if we're unthankful. Just as we learned this morning, we, again, there was a call to be in the Word. I know, guys, these are rudimentary things. These are basic things. You may come to church and say, every week I come and they're telling me to read the Bible. I don't really want to read the Bible. What is it doing for me? And that is the second step, really, neglecting. And I'm saying this, um, and I think I'm speaking with some authority because I've been here, <laughs> okay? I, I can recognize this own cycle in my life. When I was at college, they called this thing that we just read about the cycle of apostasy. It's a big phrase, but it basically talks about the Israelites that were, that were disobeying, you know, and then they would slip into this. They, they, there was this whole process that almost repeated itself every couple decades or a couple hundred years where, where they would just begin to drift away from God God would be long-suffering and patient with them, and then he would send in someone to punish them. He would send in, in this case, they, they were taken into Babylon, and they were, they were exiled out of their country, and they were punished, and they were really forced to work jobs they didn't want to do. They were taken away from their families and away from their land that God had promised. God allowed that. He allowed those things to happen because he loved them. And he knew that those things would lead them to repentance. And that's exactly what happened right here. We're caught up here. This is the people, uh, this is the children of Israel during the time of Nehemiah. They have just gotten honest with God and they said, God, this, this is who we are. This is, this is what our parents did. This is what their parents did. And we recognize the own pattern in our life. And God, we're coming to you because we don't want this to be said about ourselves. We don't want our children 40 years from now to stand up and confess the sins of their parents. We don't, want, we don't want our children to have to face the consequences of our rebellion. So God, we're standing before you and we're going to be honest. That's the first step in confession. Being honest with God about your sins. And that's what they did. They stepped forward and they said, God, as a people, as a nation, we are standing together and we are confessing our sins, our parents' sins, the sins of their fathers, because we see in our lives a pattern, and we don't want to follow that pattern. God, help us to break this pattern. And they promised. And what they did at the end of this chapter is, is very interesting. I think it's, it's a good pattern for us. Uh, but they stood before God and they said, God, we know that in times of blessing, in times of goodness, there is a temptation to drift away from you. Help us not to do that. 
Unthankfulness always leads to neglect. And neglect, it always leads to compromise. And when we begin to compromise, every time that leads to disobedience. And disobedience, it leads to punishment. Even though God was patient with them, long-suffering, He allowed them, He drew them back, He He sent people to preach the Scriptures to them and try to bring them back with truth. And yet so often He had to send in someone to punish them. Guys, that that happens, okay? Um, If that happens to you, don't be surprised about that. Like it's, it is in the Bible over and over and over again. I know we are living in what people would call the age of grace, and that is true. But even though our God is gracious, He is still just, and He still has to punish sin. And if we choose to shake our fist at God, don't be surprised when He intervenes. I'd rather us stop short of that. I'd rather us recognize in our own heart unthankfulness, really at the very core, or, or even we've gotten past that and we've begun to neglect the things of God. Where are you at, guys? Where are you at in this stage? Where are you at in this cycle? Because you're somewhere here. Are you just neglecting? Are you just, are you just saying, God, those things aren't as important to me as they used to be because I have so many other priorities and they're really important. And there's somebody asking me every day at the end of the day if I did these things. And God, you're not, you're not asking me that. So, so I'm going to get these things done and then I'll get to your word. Or, or then I'm going to get to to really submitting to your will. I'm going I'm to get to that, Lord, but these things are more important to me right now. And we begin to neglect. And then we begin to compromise. And I, and I guys, I can see this in my own life. I, I say, I can look back on a week and I say, yeah, I was, you know what? I was really living for myself all week long. If I'm going to be honest with you, I, I had a night like this this week where I went and, and I was sending my accountability text to some of my friends and I, and I was like, man, I think every single thing I did today I did for myself. Like, I don't think there was a single thing I did for anybody else today. That's a problem. That's a problem. And if we let that continue, you know what happens? We compromise. We say, you know what? Okay, it's not that important. Yes, I'm living for myself. Okay, I'm not going to maybe admit that to myself, but that's what's happening. And we begin to compromise. We begin to lower our standards. And what happens then? We disobey. We break God's law. We turn our back. We stiffen our neck. And we don't want people to tell us anything because what we want to do is what we're going to do. That's a problem. That's what the Israelites found themselves doing. And when that happens, God intervenes. In some way, God is going to deal with that. And so it is so important for us to recognize, yes, God has been faithful to us. There's so many different ways. And if we take that knowledge and if we say, God, you have been good to us, and so I'm going to be thankful, that really stops it right at the very beginning. That is a good place to be, saying, God, I am going to turn back regularly and I'm going, to, I'm going to preach the gospel to myself. I'm going to recognize what you have done in my life, in my family, in my church, and I'm going to be thankful for it. If you just make a commitment tonight to just do that, I believe that your walk with God will be so much more consistent because that's always where it starts is unthankfulness. If you are honest with yourself tonight and you say, Lord, I, I haven't thanked you for anything in a long time, I've complained about a lot of things. I've, I've brought some things to your throne, but they haven't been positive things. I've been bringing my burdens to you, and I know you've asked me to do that, but God, I haven't thanked you for anything that you've done in my life. We have so many things to be thankful for. Do you believe that? If you believe that, are you thanking God for those things? That stops this cycle right there at the very beginning. If you say, God, I promise I'm going to be thankful Maybe you're farther than that right now and you're neglecting. 
you're saying, you know what, I haven't really been faithful in my own work. You, you may be saying, God, I don't believe you're faithful to me, and so I'm not going to be faithful to you. That's often where it starts, is we believe that God hasn't been good to us, and so why should we be good to him? That comes from just really not understanding what God is, who God is and what he's done in our life, and that's why we have to come back to passages like this. But if you're neglecting, man, I, I read about some early African converts. They were, they were apparently super focused and diligent on their own personal time, their own walk with God, their own time in prayer every day. And they all would pick um, different places kind of in the, in, the, in the woods, in the bush there, and they would, they would have their own private little spot and they would have a path to it. And, and they would go there every day, sometimes multiple times a day, and they would pray and they would say, Lord, and they would, they would spend their own sweet time with God every single day. But what was interesting about this is over, over time and you know, consistency, the path would become worn out and, and the grass would die there because they were going so often. I remember when I was a kid, I used to shoot a bow all the time. I mean, when I was in like junior high back in Indiana, I was shooting a bow all the time, every day, a couple times a day, and I had a dead spot in my yard that I had worn to the target. I'd go pull my arrows out and I'd walk a straight line back. And that's what these African converts were doing. They were doing something better and more profitable than me but they were wearing out these paths. But what was interesting is if they would neglect that, um, if they would stop going out to that spot, their friends on their way out and on their paths, they would look over and they'd say, hey, hey man, Jim's, Jim's path is growing over. Man, there's, there's grass on that. I got to go talk to him. And they would say, brother, brother, your path, there's grass growing on it. What's going on? And there was just a very visible uh, physical uh, symbol that they would say, you know what, they're neglecting their time in the Word. I think that would be good for us. <laughs> I think it would be good for us if our friends could hold us accountable like that. But that's really our responsibility is to go to our friends, go to our, our fellow church members and say, I've noticed, I've noticed that, that you've been neglecting. Is that, is that true? Have you, have, you been, have you been fading away, kind of slipping away from your faithfulness? Brother, the grass grows on your path, and that's a problem. We need to bring back the faithfulness and the consistency. Again, these are just steps that I think are happening between verse 25 and 26. And as we read the book of Nehemiah, we see them in other chapters. Um, but at the, end of this, at the end of this whole chapter here, they made a decision. Um, they said, Lord, we do not want to fall into the sins of our fathers. We refuse to go down those same paths. We refuse to be unthankful. We refuse to neglect your law. We are going to choose to live our lives differently. And they took it a step further. This is what they do in chapter 10. If you'll read with me the very last verse of Nehemiah chapter 9, it says this, and because of all this, all those things that we've been talking about all night, okay? It says, because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. They said, you know what? we got a great idea. Lord, you have been faithful to us. We have been unfaithful to you. Even though you have blessed us in so many ways, God says, nevertheless, they disobeyed. And they said, we will not do that. We refuse to go down that path. And so they said, we are going to write out a covenant. And they did. In chapter 10, if you want to spend some time tonight and read through what they committed to, kind of like a New Year's resolution. It was around that time of the year for them. And, and they wrote down, we will keep your law. We will honor the Sabbath. We're going to stop buying and selling on, on Sunday. We're going, to stop, we're going to stop dishonoring you. We're going to stop 
marrying unbelieving people. We're going we're gonna to stay faithful to the words and the commandments that you have given to us. And they wrote it down in front of the witness of every single person there. They all came together and they, they signed it with their names and they said, we promise God, we are going to keep a covenant with you because you are a covenant-keeping God and you have been faithful to us and we want to be faithful to you. I ask you tonight, I wonder if that would be a good idea for us. Whether or not you write it down or not, I think it's a good idea. I think they, had, they were on to something here, putting pen and paper to this commitment that they were making. They said, God, we refuse to follow down, follow the steps and the direction that our parents took. You've given us a way. You've given us a right way, and we have a choice whether we're going to follow it or not. And they said, we are choosing this day to honor you. We're going to choose this day to follow you. We are going to make a covenant to return to you, Lord, and to stay in a consistent, faithful relationship with you. I hope tonight I've been able to remind you of God's faithfulness. I needed that. I read this passage, and again, I'm so convicted by the way that God has provided. Spend some time tonight and think about this. Think about this reality. What has God done in your life? Take some time and just turn around and look back on your story and see how God has been involved with it. Be honest and admit to God, Lord, you have done so much more for me than I have admitted to you. There are so many ways that you have provided for me. And yet, I have followed the way of the Israelites. And I find myself again returning, Lord. I'm returning. Confidently knowing that we serve a God that will always take us back. He will always bring us out of that punishment when we have learned our lesson and when we come and we repent and confess our sins. That's what the Israelites did. They said, God, we're sinners. You are a covenant-keeping, faithful God. You have delivered us once again, and we are going to go in a different direction. We're going to write our names on this paper because, Lord, we're serious about this. We are going to honor you with our lives Forgive us for our unthankfulness. Forgive us for our disobedience, our rebellion, our refusal to be confronted, that stiff neck that says, no, I'm right. Don't tell me what you think. They said, God, forgive us of our sins. They stood in the chapter before for a quarter of the day and they just confessed their sins. Man, I think that would be healthy. I think that would be beneficial for all of us to stand up and say, Lord, forgive me for what I have done. Forgive me for the ways that I have ignored you and chosen to live my own life. We have to guard against unthankfulness and the next step, which is neglect and compromise and disobedience. Because of the mercy of God, the Israelites found themselves back in the land of promise. After hearing God's word explained to them and taught to them, they recognized their own need for confession. And so what did they do? They stood up they confessed. They were again returning to the Lord. They finished this time of worship with a covenant to obey. They said, God, we promise we are going to obey. They decided to commit together to follow God's plan. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
and make his face to shine upon you.